Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover Paul and the Resurrection of Israel by Dr. Jason A. Staples. The tagline is Jews, Former Gentiles, Israelites. This was book 53 for my 2023 reading list and was the final book that I read last year. A little show note here, this is also the 200th book that I've covered on this episode, and I'm, I'm very glad that it is this book. Today is release day for Paul and the Resurrection of Israel. I'm recording this January 11, 2024. And I was actually supposed to receive this book on January 11th today, but uh, for some reason, Amazon shipped it early, and so I got it I got it late in December. The uh, Right when I got it, I, I started reading it, and I was, I was very excited about this book. Jason is my brother-in-law, and he this is his second book. The first book is The Idea of Israel in Second Temple, Judaism. And I read that a few years ago for this project and then had Jason on the podcast. I asked him a bunch of questions about that book. So I will talk uh, briefly about that book in this episode, but uh, this this episode will, will mainly focus on his new book here. And I think the best thing to do to describe what Jason is doing in this book is to just give a little bit of a, of a of a history lesson or, or a, a, a going through the Bible real quick to, to show what Jason is trying to do. And so if you're not familiar with the Bible, if, uh, if you don't believe in the Bible, if, if you, what, wherever you're coming from, uh, I ask you to listen just to, I'm going to try to go through this quickly just to set up what, what Jason is doing here. So if we start in Genesis, there is a covenant that is created between God and Abraham. And a covenant, we can kind of think of it as a contract, but there there are two parts to it. So there is what God has promised to do, and then there is the responsibility that Abraham has. So in this covenant, God promises to be Abraham's God. And that's kind of a big deal because where Abraham came from, which was Ur, of the Chaldeans, this is Ur in Mesopotamia, there were multiple gods. So this is to be his one God. Uh, God promises to make Abraham a great nation and to give his descendants the land of Israel. Now, Abraham's responsibility is to worship God alone and to observe his laws and rules. And one of those laws is the law, or one of the things that he has to obey is circumcision. Uh, that'll come up just a little bit later. So let's skip ahead to King David. King David uh, of David and Goliath fame is the king over all of Israel. And after him, his kingdom splits in two. And so you have the kingdom of Israel to the north, and then you have the kingdom of Judah to the south. After that, there's a series of kings uh, in the kingdom of, of Israel. All the kings are said to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And in the kingdom of Judah, there's kind of a mixed bag of some kings that do good, some kings that do evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, if a covenant is broken, so let's go back to Genesis and, and that covenant that was between God and Abraham. If a covenant is broken, the penalty is death. When Abraham and God uh, had that had that covenant, 
they walked through animals that had been cut in half. And the, the implication there was that if you break this covenant, that's what happens to you. The penalty for breaking the covenant is death. And the way that this is usually meted out in the Bible is through exile. And so if we go back to Genesis and Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, they are told that to not eat of, of the fruit of the tree or they will die. Uh, but once they eat from the tr- fruit of the tree, they're not immediately executed, but they are exiled out of the garden. Let's return to these two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. When they are exiled, the uh, kingdom of Israel is exiled to Assyria, and then the, the southern kingdom of Judah is exiled to Babylon. When the people of Israel are scattered, and when they are exiled to, to Israel, they, they do not return. They are scattered, they're assimilated into the people of, of, of Assyria. And this is modus operandi for Assyria. I, I read the book last year about Assyria, and this is, this is just how they did things. This is kind of their way of ethnic cleansing. Uh, they would just assimilate the people to where there was no distinct group anymore of those people. That's what happened to the kingdom of Israel. Uh, some of the people from the kingdom of Judah did return, but even after they returned, they referred to themselves as, still as exiles. So this is where Jason's first book looks at the distinction between these people and more broadly these terms, where you've got Israelite and Jew. And he asked the question, are they interchangeable? If you say the, the word Jew, if you call someone a Jew, does that mean they are Israelite and vice versa? And his thesis in the, the first book is no, that these terms are not the same. They are not interchangeable. And that has tremendous implac- uh, implications for what is eventually worked out in the book that we're talking about today. So at this point, there's no more kingdom of Israel. It's gone. They, they have been assimilated into Assyria. Uh, Assyria has put other people in the kingdom of Israel. So it's just, it's, it's a different ballgame now. Uh, kingdom of Israel is gone. And this this brings us to the prophet Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. So I'm just going to read this quickly. And this is really what prompted Jason's first book. And so here, here it, here it is. Look, the days are coming. And this is the Lord's declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. And I'll, and I'll stop it there. So the key point here, remember the there was that first covenant between Abraham and uh, God, and, and then there were other covenants after that. Uh, but those were are now called the, the old covenant, because look, I will make a new covenant. That's what that's what's talked about here. And, and Jeremiah was a prophet. So this is what prompted Jason's first book, because by the time Jeremiah is writing, the, the time this book is is being compiled, 
there is not a house of Israel. There is not a kingdom of Israel anymore. So what is Jeremiah talking about? That the that I will make a new covenant with something that doesn't even exist. And this is really what sparked Jason's first book, his, his deep dive into this, and the last 20 years of his life that he has spent deep diving into this. And the result now is these two incredible books. So let me pause here and just say that this is where I had a huge question after reading Jason's first book. So at, at the end of that book, I said, I, I, th- I was thinking if the people of Israel were scattered and the prophecies said that they would come back, how is it that, that that's going to happen? It just, it seems impossible. So at this point in the game, here's what Jason says. The covenant has been broken and it cannot be kept or reestablished or renewed by the works of the Torah or the law. And so that's the predicament here. That's, that's where things are. And now let's jump over to Ezekiel. And this gets into the cover of this book, Paul and the Resurrection of Israel. So if you look at the picture of it, it is the dry bones coming to life. And, and that comes from Ezekiel 37. But before I read that, I'm going to read quickly here in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So that is from Ezekiel 36. And then let me read here from Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Actually, let me move back one part here. Um, He's... The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. End quote. So keep those in mind. They're going to come up uh, later. One other thing from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible that I want to cover, and that is from Hosea, which who was another prophet. And he says this, uh, there, there is a child born and the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. And so this is uh, the Israel, the chosen people of God, Israel, has now become not my people. And keep that in mind as well, not my people. So now we jump to the New Testament and remember the curse. What, what was the curse again for breaking the covenant? It was death. And so Jason says this on page 224 of his book, Jesus is God's solution to Israel's predicament. Later on, 261, he says, The just one, Jesus, submitted to death and became a curse for us. He effectively activated the escape clause for the Torah's curse. So... Uh, end quote. So he, he submitted to death and by dying that the requirement of the covenant, if it was broken, was death. By dying, Jesus, I love this term, he activated the escape clause. And so as Jason says, the Messiah is no longer under the jurisdiction of that law of the Torah and its curses. And now he has the authority to dispense the promise of the spirit through fidelity. 
end quote. So the promise of the Spirit is what we read in Ezekiel there, that these dry bones would, would come to life. That That is the promise, and it's ushered in by this Messiah. So as, as such, Jesus has the power to grant the moral transformation promised by the prophets. Uh, again, this is a quote from Jason. Jesus has the, the power to grant the moral transformation promised by the prophets to those who trust him. Later on, he says, God's mercy does not involve changing the standard of judgment to accommodate the people, but instead changing the people to accommodate the standard of judgment. Again, that goes right to Ezekiel, where it says, be given a new heart in these dry bones living, that that God's mercy does not involve changing the standard, but changing the people to accommodate the standard of judgment. So let's jump to the book of Acts now. And remember that split mentioned in Ezekiel, where um, now we've got we've got Gentiles that are starting to receive the Spirit. And Gentiles are people who are not Jews. They are not they are not uh, Jews. And so what what's going on here? They're not they they're not supposed to be receiving the Spirit. These are these are not my people. Why are they receiving the Spirit? And uh, as Jason puts it on page 111, he says, the new covenant promised Israel's restoration, not Gentile salvation. So what's going on here? And this is kind of what, what Paul is, is having to address once we get to Romans. Uh, so let me read a few quotes. This is from page 324 of Jason's book. When Paul observed that uncircumcised Jesus followers were receiving the Spirit, the very thing promised not to Gentiles, but to Israel as part of the new covenant. He turned to his scriptures to understand this unexpected development, concluding that Gentile participation in the promises to Israel is a surprising part of Israel's redemption. And quote, later on, on that same page, Jason says, the inclusion of physically uncircumcised persons in the promise is therefore not a rejection or a replacement of Israel, but rather the means by which God is reaching out and saving more of Israel than anyone anticipated, a, pro- a process analogous to resurrection from the dead. Uh, end quote. That should sound familiar from that Ezekiel passage. And then if we're talking about Jesus in the New Testament of, of, of a death and then of a resurrection. So the question here is, uh, as Jason states it, how did a movement focused on Israel's restoration develop into the primary Gentile phenomenon that came after Paul? But even further to that, how did exile uh, not become the ultimate curse, but exile become the means of fulfilling the ultimate curse of death. One other quote here from Jason, he says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to bring Israel back from the dead as the prophets had promised. So Paul's looking and seeing that these Gentiles are receiving the spirit. They, they thought that this covenant promise was, this new covenant promise was just for Israel in Israel's restoration. So why is it that people are out that are outside of that they're starting to get they're starting to 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 receive the spirit as promised in the Old Testament. And so this I know that was a long introduction. Thank you for sticking with me if you're still here. But this is where Jason's book comes in and uh and so we're going to and what he does is he looks at some of the most difficult passages and verses in Romans. 
some that have confounded scholars for hundreds of years, and he ties all of these pieces together. So he's specifically looking at Romans 1 and 2, and then 9, 10, and 11. And he he digs in deep to this not my people thing. And so here's Jason's thesis for the book. And I'm quoting him here. Because Israel was scattered among and assimilated by the nations, Israel's salvation paradoxically depends on salvation coming to the Gentiles. And like a master potter, God has used Israel's misstep not for destruction, but to accomplish the very purpose for which Israel was chosen in the first place. Riches for the world and blessing and the blessing of Abraham for all nations. End quote. So what this does is it reverses the process of assimilation among the nations. And at the same time, it opens up the new covenant to all of the nations. So the kingdom of Israel, remember, they were scattered and they were, they were, they were assimilated into, into Assyria and in, into other places. And so how in this, in this new covenant that, that they're going to, they're going to be reunited, how is that going to happen if, they're not even an entity anymore. There's not, you can't like go and say, oh, these are the people that, that used to be over here. So how would you go about that? And what, what Jason is saying that, that Paul is saying in Romans is that these people who are not my people anymore because they've been assimilated, that's the same as Gentiles. So that requires the incorporation of actual Gentiles who may or may not have a single Israelite ancestor. And that is the process for how the, the, the new covenant, the process of assimilation, the, or the, the, the process of regrouping as part of this new covenant, that's how it is accomplished through the incorporation of actual, uh, actual Gentiles. And, and th- that's an amazing thing. This book goes so deep into it. I have barely even scratched the surface here of what Jason goes into, but if you have any interest in what what I've talked about in this episode so far, I highly suggest reading this book. And I've I've barely done it justice. It is so deep. It is so well written. It is so um, I, just how all of it ties together. It it's just incredible. And this this is new. This is a new thesis. Uh, other interpretations have to that are out there about these verses. They have to explain things away or or make statements that are just not possible. And uh, let me even quote someone that Jason quotes here, N.T. Wright, at the beginning of one of the chapters. Um, and, and this is referring to another scholar. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, My hunch is that Sanders' reforms in Pauline studies have not yet, in fact, gone far enough, and that Romans 2, for so long the Achilles heel of schemes on Paul and the law, may make a vital contribution to some eventual solutions, both to the theological questions which surround all of Paul's writings and, of course, to the exegesis of Romans itself, end quote. And so that's really what Jason is 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 doing here. Uh, I would suggest reading his first book first, but I also think that this one's so important that you might just want to jump to this one first and then uh, go back to the, to the first one. He, he does kind of recap the, the first book uh, rather quickly in, in this book. So you get the general gist, but it, it's a very powerful argument that he makes in the first book as well. Uh, my initial reaction to this book is uh, I, I called it a masterpiece. I, I was thinking in my head, like, this is a masterpiece, just how brilliantly it's put together, how, how, how well it's stated, how the, the, the words were chosen, the, the, 
the sentences, it was just beautifully put together. And I don't think I've ever said that about a book, that it's a masterpiece, but I, I would say that about this book. Uh, my head would feel crammed when reading it. Like it, it was just, it was so deep and it, there was so much going on. Uh, but I, I loved how he would just explain it and then reiterate throughout the book, the the main points. So that, that really helped me to, to get it. Like I said, with this first book, I read it, I had to read it twice. I just read this one one time. Uh, I may read it again in the near future as a second reading, just to um, to to return to it and 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 in hopes of of getting more out of it uh, the second time because I I know I, I missed a lot the first time as well. So for reading stats, I read this between December twenty eighth and thirty first. It is a three hundred forty seven page book. It took me eleven hours and thirty minutes to read it, and that was over four days, so it was uh, roughly eighty seven pages per day. I wanted to finish it before the end of the year. As I start each new year, uh, reading straight through the Bible. So I take the first two months out of every new year and, and just read through, uh, straight through some version of the Bible. So I'm, I'm doing that right now. And what's awesome is that this book, Paul and the resurrection of, of Israel, it has me reading the Bible in, in just looking for particular things and, and seeing how this, this whole story comes about. Uh, the way Jason writes about it here is just, it, it's so brilliant in that sense and that it really helps you to understand a lot of things in the Bible. And it just makes it so much more exciting to go through it. So I'll have two more segments in this episode. The next segment, I'm going to cover three areas where this book presents ideas that are different from what I've heard my whole life. And then in the final segment, I'll cover the one thing, my one key takeaway from Paul and the resurrection of Israel. All right, I, I want to just go through three things that stuck out to me in this book that are different from what I had understood before or had, had, I guess, heard for most of my life in churches and even in my own reading of, of just how I would interpret things. And so let me just read, let me start with the first one here and just read from page 138 of this book. Uh, so here we go. Since such emphasis on judgment based on works is by no means out of the character for Paul. On the contrary, Paul's thinking is dominated by the impending eschatological judgment in which God will finally mete out justice based on what people deserve. This theme of God's judgment is so foundational that it appears in every undisputed Pauline letter except Philemon, being sig significantly more pervasive in that respect than justification by faith. Now I'm going to skip to the bottom of the page, and here we go. It is especially noteworthy that Paul in no way suggests that believers will be excused from such judgment. He never reassures his audience that their belief in Jesus's death and resurrection has saved them from being judged by their works or that Jesus's works will be substituted for their own. End quote. That, uh, I, I had always, I guess the first part there, just such emphasis on judgment based on works is by no means out of the character for Paul. I, I would have assumed that that was out of the character for Paul, that it was all about justification by faith. Uh, I, I hear about that all the time, and that that was kind of like a replacement for judgment based on works, and not the case here of what uh, what Jason shares here. Next, let's jump to page 177 for the next item. Uh, the contrast is subtle but significant, whereas a person cannot be justified through works of Torah. And let me take myself out of the quote here for a minute. Jason uh, uh, translates any use of what I usually would see in Romans as law. He, he 
he translates that as Torah. So when I say through works of Torah, you may, may be familiar with that more as uh, works of law in, in the translation that you use, but he's using through works of Torah. And so let me go back. The contrast is subtle but significant. Whereas a person cannot be justified through works of Torah, justification through the work of the Torah written on the heart enables a person to do the works of justice the Torah requires. It is not that God saves unrighteous people by merely judging them as though they were righteous, end quote. And what, one thing I had heard uh, growing up is just uh, this idea that it would like, what Jesus did was make it so that it was just as if you had never sinned. Uh, but here, what Jason's saying it is not that God saves unrighteous people mere, by merely judging them as though they were righteous. Uh, rather, Paul's message is that God graciously takes unjust people and makes them just, thereby satisfying both God's mercy and justice in judgment. Again, it must be emphasized that Paul is not proclaiming a Torah-free gospel, but rather a Torah-implanted gospel, end quote. And then that goes back to the new heart, and I will, put the, I will write the law on their hearts, back to the, the, what, we, what we read in Ezekiel earlier. The final thing here, number three, is this, uh, that the law was not abolished. Instead, that we are empowered to obey the law. I, I always kind of had the impression that um, the law was so perfect, the standard was so perfect that it was un- unattainable. And so why even try, um, whether that's the Old Testament law or even Jesus's teaching on, on the Sermon on the Mount? Um, but but there's this attitude of giving up in that, of why even try if you can't be perfect? It kind of leads to like a defeated life in, in a lot of ways. And, and it also leads to people just always talking about how bad they are instead of uh, the flip side of that, of, of people talking about how empowered they are to actually obey the law. And so Jason has a couple other quotes here where uh, on page 84, he says, the promise of the spirit is all about Israel being empowered to obey. And then that, that um, one, like I read earlier, it's not law free, but law implanted. So again, back to that Ezekiel verse where the law is is um, written on the heart. So th- those are three things that stuck out to me um, in in the book. I mean, this, again, is one of these books where this is pretty transformational ideas in, in, in a lot of these parts, and, and especially in the entire interpretation of of Romans and, and how Jason um, ties all these all the pieces together, uh, especially for Romans 1 and 2 and then 9 through 11. So in the next segment, I'll do my one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. All right, the thing that blew me away the most is something I, I had never heard before, or I don't recall ever having heard this before. And so let me read this, this part, and then, and then I'll kind of describe it a little bit more. So here we go. The ethical transformation of Paul's former Gentiles is therefore an ethnic transformation. Restoring Israel through the process of Gentile transformation and adoption into the eschatological people of God. The rationale behind Gentile inclusion, therefore, relies on the notion that because Ephraim's seed had been mixed among the nations, Gentiles must now be incorporated into Israel to ensure the promised restoration of all Israel. God's promise to restore not only those from Judah, but also all of Israel ultimately opens the door for 
even requires the inclusion of Gentiles in the new covenant for Israel to be complete, end quote. The very first part of that is what, what really struck out or stuck out to me is that the ethical transformation, so where the law is being written on the heart, that ethical transformation of Paul's former Gentiles is therefore also an ethnic transformation. Uh, these people are being, it's an ethnic transformation into the people of Israel. Uh, I, I just either had not heard that or had not grasped the ramifications for that. And that is my one thing for this book, that the ethnic, that the eth- ethical transformation is also an ethnic transformation, restoring Israel through the process of that transformation. Amazing. Uh, I, 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 I hope you do get to read this book, and uh, I will link a, from a few different places in the show notes. One, I'll link right to Jason's site where you can get a signed copy of the book, and then I'll link to uh, Landmark Booksellers as well where, where you can get a copy of the book. So to recap, I, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. I think this is a masterpiece of a book. I think it'll have pretty big impact on just personal people, you know, people's personal lives. Uh, I think it'll have a big impact in scholarship. Uh, this is this is a masterwork in, in that sense, just of the amount of sources Jason has gone through, the depth, and how many uh, original sources. Um, that's one of Jason's big things. And uh, one thing that I just I love about him is that he, he, he goes back to the original sources. He, he goes back to the sources around that time to see what other people, how, how are people using terms? How are they writing about them? Uh, his first book goes deep into Josephus, Philo, uh, other texts from Second Temple Jude- Judaism period, uh, books of the Apocrypha, uh, books of the, of the Bible, uh, books of the Hebrew Bible, and just all these different authors to see, you know, how are people using these terms? And one thing he's seen so much in his life is that modern scholarship will pick up on an idea and not question where it came from. And so that that is the genesis of this, of his books, is just taking things back to the root. And does modern scholarship have it correct? Like, are these assumptions that everyone's working off, are they correct? And Jason says there are some there are some assumptions that are being worked off here that are are incorrect and are are impacting scholarship in these ways. And so by going back to the root, uh, we can we can look and see what what did these these terms mean at the original time they were being used and how can that help us to better understand these things? And if we've gotten off the uh, off the right track in scholarship or how we understand these things, how can we get back to the right track? So it's it's brilliant in that sense. Um, Another thing that is just delightful about this book is his chapter titles. If you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, you will notice quite a few uh, familiar titles, and uh, there, that was quite delightful. And then he just has all these turns of phrase phrases from any, everyone from Jane Austen to, um, I mean, in his first book, he he, he highlights uh, Adam Sandler. So you, you never know what you're going to get with Jason, but uh, it is a delightful read. Uh, there, there, I, I didn't even go through any of the footnotes in this reading, but if 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 you want to dig deeper, there are plenty of things to dig into here. What Jason does at the end of the book too is 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 give you questions like if you if you are going to prove my thesis wrong, here are the ways that you would go about and do that. And again, that just uh, shows a humility and also just a um, 
just a deep desire to uh, to get to the truth of things, and uh, and I really appreciated that in in this book. I do plan to have Jason on uh, the podcast probably when I do the episode after I've read through the Bible this year. I, I already have a set of questions from this book, but I'm I'm kind of seeing now as I go through the Bible to see if if I can get them answered just through my reading of the Bible. And if I can't, then I I will ask Jason about them in the episode, but I want to have him on. I want to talk about his book a little bit more and then uh, ask some of those, those questions as well. Again, if you're interested in buying this book, um, uh, check out the the links in the show notes. I, I, it would bless Jason greatly if, if you bought the book directly from him with, uh, with the the signed version. Um, so I'll link to that in the show notes. I do want to give a quick ad. I I don't advertise generally for this podcast, but I want to advertise my own company, uh, because that would be, that's how I support this, this podcast. And that would be the best way that you can support the podcast. And what I do is I am a website developer. I'm an online consultant. I have a company that is called EPR creations. I'll link to that in the show show notes and the books of Titans uh, website is actually a website I've I've done, and so that can give you a good example of of the type of work that I do. But I work with universities, small businesses, and health organizations on their online presence. So if you or someone you know, or some entity that you know of, is in need of a website or search engine optimization or online presence consulting, please keep me in mind. Uh, that that is what funds this project and supports this podcast. Uh, just a note, I don't do basic websites. So if, if it's, you know, I, I, I want to sell uh, lemonade in my neighborhood and, and, you know, I want to expand a little bit and, and, uh, do a lemonade online lemonade stand. I, I'm not your guy. Uh, but I, 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 if, if you know of a company or, or someone needing a, a big overhaul of a, of a complex online presence, uh, I thrive in those circumstances. So thank you for listening. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I would love to hear from you, uh, especially if you have read either of Jason's books. And if you got something out of it that I completely missed or, or you know something you wanted to share with me, I would, I would really love to hear about that. I started this reading project as a way to connect to other people reading the same books that I'm reading. And so I would delight in that in, in hearing from you and and uh, I've thank you to, to everyone that's written especially in the last few weeks over uh, the Christmas holiday so um, again buy the book from the links in the show notes and you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter the website is also stocked full of resources that can help you find the best books and to create your own reading list I'll be back in a week or two to discuss another book from my either 2023 reading list or um, something related to 2024. I actually may in the next episode, go through the books I have planned for 2024 until then keep reading, keep learning and keep listening. I'm out. Mm -hmm.